0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jennifer Smart. And this is The Fabulous Invalid.
0: Welcome to our second episode before we dig in talk about what's going on and get to our interview.
1: I think we've got some news to share You've probably noticed that our fabulous co-host Leslie Kritzer is not here today. She is down in Washington, D.C., working on Beetlejuice, Woo-hoo! which is coming to the Winter Garden Theater in spring. Right? Spring. I don't think they've announced the start date of previews, but it opens right they've before announced the, the theater Tony right? deadline. Yes.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they have done that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it opens in late April at the Winter
1: Garden. And I just have to say that we were all at Joe's Pub just a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. No, a week ago. A week last ago. Week. A week yeah. ago
2: tonight, actually. It was last Monday. It's, it's
1: the one-week anniversary. Where she did
0: her one-woman one show.
2: Happy anniversary, Leslie. Burn it to the ground. Burn it to yeah. the ground.
0: Yes. It was great. We had so much fun. Oh, my God. So She's funny. A comedian to the hilt.
1: So well, funny. we miss you, Leslie. And uh, you will be with us sometime in the fall when you're back. Or maybe sooner. We'll see. Yes, oh, yes. See.
0: And our other fabulous co-host, Jennifer Samard, has uh, some exciting news too. Jennifer is now ba- uh, now back on Broadway in "Mean Girls.
2: Yay! Ooh. I'm so happy there, you guys. I Are like... you a mean girl? No, <laughs> But no, your you're not. Oh my goodness, no <laughs> Well, Jennifer, angel. You're... I'm an angel. And your,
0: your, your track is as all of the female adults in the show.
2: Correct. Right? I am Mrs. Heron, Ms. Norbury, and Mrs. George. And those roles were originated in the film by Anna Gasteyer, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler. And it is my privilege to sink my teeth into them. I'm having so much fun. And it's really back to my roots, because I, I used to play many characters off-Broadway, and it feels like a zillion different off-Broadway shows. So it's really quite fun to those go. Those are big shoes to fill. And you can fill them. Aw, that's really (laughs) cool. And a lot of wigs, too. (laughs) Oh, a lot of wigs. A lot of wig changes. I (laughs) love it, though. It's so much fun. It's like, now I'm a blonde. Let's see what that feels like (laughs) for Well, speaking of of, of,
0: of wig changes Mm -hmm. and personality changes, um, you also have uh, a, a wonderful cabaret show that you did, you premiered a couple weeks ago I called did. Stigma.
2: Yes, I did, and you were there, and I thank you for yes. coming. oh, it
1: was so so much fun. I <laughs> wasn't there because I don't really like you very much.
2: No, I know. Well, you are a mean girl. So. Oh, yeah,
1: that's actually
2: true. So clear. No, I was
1: I was dealing with a
0: a thing. <laughs> I know
2: you were, well.
0: Know. What's great about your cabaret show is that we get to see a different side of you. You know, because yeah. we do know the you know the, the the kooky character actress, but getting to see you know some more serious and personal um, work. Uh, was was really oh thank you yeah incredible. it was a darker
2: yeah. side I'm much yeah. more a bo- I in my personal life I'm much more interested in going to the bottom of the pool and not <laughs> swimming on the surface and yeah. um, I don't even know if this really. Feels like a cabaret show to me. Right. I don't know to you. It felt yeah. it's more like performance art meets cabaret. Totally, um, totally. And I hope there's we succeeded in creating an arc for people to relate to. Yes. Even though it's stories storytelling about my life, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad you were there. And we're we're gonna. I'm lucky enough that they invited us back. So yeah. we're gonna reprise it two more times on um, November 5th and December 17th.
0: That's great. So listeners out there, get your tickets.
2: Yeah. How do I get my tickets? Is there a website? Go to the Green Room 42 website and there are links there Linky Lou's Little Linky Love The Green Room 42 Fabulous uh, and uh, you, I can hook you up there and I appreciate it thank you of course. I'm, I'm really proud of it thank you very much yeah alrighty let's get to our show let's get to our show
1: few things going on in the world this week and this last week. Uh, We lost one of our own, Marin Mazzi, and that was, uh, I think, hugely felt by, it was felt by everybody, and it was a, it was a, it was a tough week. I think that um, she was loved by everyone who knew her and didn't know her personally, and uh, I think it was a, it was a real blow, and uh, we're all still, we're still reeling from it to a certain degree. Um, I think one of the things that came up with her passing was the, I don't want to say controversy, but the brouhaha about the dimming of the lights and who gets the lights dimmed for them. It's a complicated subject. Um, I don't really, my feelings are sort of all over the map about it. Maybe somebody else has um, something more articulate to
2: say? Well, I can chime in a little bit having, you know, done a few Broadway shows now and um, I think moving forward it would be my preference to be more liberal and inclusive with doing it because it is a small community and it's truly not every day we're losing one of our own it's it's not that frequent and I think in order to move forward positively I don't want to waste time talking about why didn't it happen or Why did there, you know, why did we need a social media media campaign to make it happen? I think it's better to give positive reinforcement for the fact that it was done. Thank goodness. And I want to thank the League and the people in that committee for making that decision. And I wanted to, if they're listening, say as a member of the Broadway community why I think that's such a beautiful and positive thing. So many times we've gathered on stage when I've been in a show and people who are higher up the chain of command will say to us, we here at fill in the blank are all one big family. And by doing this, it indicates that you believe we are a family through your actions and not just your words. The night that the lights were dimmed outside the August Wilson. It wasn't just actors out there. It was stage hands. It was stage managers. And it was so interesting to see passersby not understand what was going on. And it was only for a minute, but it inevitably created a conversation with some of these strangers who were curious as to why this, this was happening. And that's a beautiful thing for the theaters and theater owners to know that these people were moved. It indicated our shared humanity. And they, to a person, thought it was such a beautiful thing that we on Broadway do this. And I personally like to think of Broadway as a as a ship on the ocean. And what it shows is that whether you're an admiral or a captain, or you know a, a petty officer or just a seaman, that you've you have value, that you matter, and that is good for morale. And therefore, it is good for your work product because everyone goes back into the theater to do their eight shows a week, six days a week, which is really hard, everyone. (laughs) When you have one day off a week and you don't live residually, you live by wages, it's really hard. So things like this bond us down to our soul. And it's not done for everyone. And I I just want to take a moment to honor Jeff Leffeholtz I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I didn't know him individually, but he's the gentleman who was at Chicago for approximately 20 years and unfortunately committed suicide, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. And um, that was in June, you know? And so I I just think it's important, um, whether you're famous or not famous, to... um, to realize that being aboard this ship for any period of time like that is quite something, and I'm I'm for all I'm for doing it as often as possible.
1: Well, what if they? So I I think one of the things that people don't fully understand is is exactly how that decision gets made, as in terms of who gets. The lights dimmed, and who doesn't? And Rob is actually going to address this a little bit later in the segment, just in terms of the whole history of the dimming of the lights. But my question is, would it be something that could be more inclusive in terms of that decision-making process? Like, what if there was a committee that included members of the acting community, the stagehands, whatever that whatever that looks like? There could be a broader group that votes on this and hears arguments pro and con. Or I guess they would be mostly pro in terms of dimming the lights.
2: I guess it's a wonderful idea, what you're suggesting. I think my only fear is, having gone through grief myself, I think the last thing you want as a family member or friend is when you're already grieving is to have your loved one's CV put up for debate because it almost feels like a loss a second time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a tension here between... um, an, an urging for transparency, which I think is very much the you know, zeitgeist that we live in. And, and people, especially with, with the evolving fan culture on Broadway, where people, and because of social media, where, where people, audience members, fans, feel so much closer to performers than they probably ever have. And, and so when someone like Marin does pass away, it, it feels personal because people form these connections uh, and are able to, given, given technology, um, and 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 at the same time, there is the concern for you know turning this into a circus uh, where everyone's sort of lobbying and jockeying for this honor when it should be something that that is private, that is you know special to the community. And and what I love, and you know what you touched on in your um, when you were talking just now, is, is that um, there's there's a sense of celebrity on Broadway that I think is different from what others outside of, our, of this community might think of as celebrity. And someone like Marin, um, certainly, to people who are in the theater world, she's a goddess. I mean, she is one of the legends. Um, but you step outside of our, our community, and she's not on, on everyone's lips. She's not someone that, that most Americans could pick out of a police line. And yet, you know, she is so special and dear to us. And so I, I think the, the concern about making it too much of a public process is that it sort of degrades the ceremony itself.
3: There was a time Our happiness seemed never-ending I was so sure That where we were heading Was right Life was a road So certain and straight And unbending Our little road With never a crossroad in sight Back in the days when we spoke in civilized voices Women in white and sturdy young men at the oar Back in the days when I let you make all my choices
1: Should we get on to our interview? Let's do it. (laughs)
2: I am so thrilled to introduce our second guest. And on a personal note, I've known this wonderful, beautiful lady for 20 years. Isn't that and crazy? Crazy. But and most recently, my beautiful and wonderful colleague at Hello Dolly on Broadway. I'm so thrilled to introduce you all to two-time Tony Award winner, Emmy Award winner, and fellow college dropout.
4: Yeah Donna Murphy! Oh boy. There are three I am so college proud. Dropouts. I'm safe. So- hey. Okay, yeah, I'm, in, yeah. I'm in great company. Yes, yes.
2: Where did you drop out of, Jamie? Uh, San Francisco State University. Yeah, I'm Boston, the Boston Conservatory of Music, a fine
4: school. And you were NYU New York University Tisch right. School of the Arts, undergrad yeah. drama. Yeah, and so I, I'm the
0: I, outlier who okay. doubled down and got a law degree. So oh,
4: amazing! <laughs> you, my my parents <laughs> would have been very proud of there you. you <laughs> yeah.
1: What are you doing that gives you comfort, relaxation, gets you out of your head?
4: I meditate. Um I, I I right now I need guided meditation because it's really at least as a starting point. Um and then I will I can be on my own, but that's greatly helpful. Are
1: you new to meditation or have you been doing it for a um, long
4: time? I have done it on and off. Um I I did it pretty consistently back in the late 90s, and truthfully I was I was researching a part that I was playing. <laughs> Um, for a Star Trek movie, <laughs> and I was playing this, you know, very evolved, enlightened woman who was—you were so good, <laughs> Anish—and I thought, oh my god, she's just has a whole different energy than I do, and um, and so I studied with somebody in uh, meditation and yoga, and it was so helpful. And I remember people coming up to me on the on the set, you know, saying, "Oh, you just have this energy about you." I was like. I'm learning, I'm learning. And it was a beautiful thing, too. I mean, one of the most wonderful things about what we get to do is that each role, each job, you step into another world and another uh, that character's uh, experience and that character's um, perspective. And it's an opportunity to, to learn. So I do... Try to do it daily. Sometimes it's, you know, four minutes in the morning and four minutes at night. Um, I listen to music. I listen to um, inspirational speaking. I listen to podcasts. (laughs) Um, I don't have the time to read as much, but I have affirmations that that I read daily that help me.
1: All right, since you brought it up, Mm-hmm. You were in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. And I just have to ask, what is it like being a part of that juggernaut? I know this has nothing to do with theater, so don't turn off people. But,
4: <laughs> but I'm curious. So funny because there's so many people who are in that particular cast who come from the theater. Hmm. Uh, I just I remember that we were on location um, up in the mountains, north north of, of uh, Los Angeles, and there was a moment where. Oh, and Jonathan Frakes was our director and he said, okay, so when do the show tunes start? Because I'm just... <laughs> we've been waiting for months for you to be... and I mean, I would you know, kind of hum a little bit in the trailer and stuff, but I, I wasn't the, the type to kind of burst into um, songs from shows I'd been in or, you know, I, I, whatever. And, well, the, the person who starts singing, Patrick started singing from <laughs> Sweeney Todd and suddenly there were a lot of show tunes being sung, and I was sort of the last one to join in. Um, and uh, But many of that company had come from the theater uh, originally. What was it like? Well, it was a little bit like uh, attending a, a, a class reunion for a high school that you never attended, you know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Crashing a reunion. Because everybody knew each other. They all knew each other well. But they were so welcoming, and they were so... Um, just fun and friendly, and um, appreciative of you know whatever I had to bring to the table, and um, and I didn't really realize this the the responsibility of stepping into that world that was so beloved and so um, uh, just you know the people who who watch. That series, whether it was that sp- specific incarnation of it, or any any incarnation of it, they take it very seriously. And um, I was not someone who had watched it, and so just preparing for when I auditioned for it, um, uh, I felt like I needed to immerse myself as much as possible so that I could go in from an informed place and a respectful place. And so I always say, each each part I played, you know, I came away with a gift. And I, I don't, I don't always own that quality, certainly, but um, it's something that I know is there to access, and that I have been able to own it. So uh, it was a very cool thing. But it's funny because people say, "Oh, you must do all the conventions." So I was advised by um, the regulars. Uh, <laughs> they said, "Don't, you know, don't do the little conventions. You're going to be asked to do the big ones, and wait, do the big ones." And I was asked to do a couple. Uh, a convention in London and um, another international convention, and I wasn't available. And then, like, there weren't that many asks, and I was like, oh, sh- what happened? Oh, no. I blew it. You missed the boat. Yeah. And then occasionally, like, somebody... Uh, I don't have a regular Facebook... I have, like, a fan Facebook page, and I'm not very attentive to it. I don't even have a website. I, I've i got to get that stuff together. You're but, on Twitter, though. Yeah, I am on Twitter. Are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram, and, you know, my daughter says, Mom, but, like, you're not... You just don't do it the way... Yeah. I, the way
1: the kids do the it The kids do it.
4: Well, I don't I don't know about the kids. I just it's hard to be in the moment and also capturing it at the right. same time. I agree 100%. It's really yeah. hard, you know, and it's I mean there's I've had some fun with it and I've it's also been meaningful to be able to to communicate things that I I, I would like to say to to an extended group of people. Um, whether it's personal or about something that I feel passionately about, but sometimes like that, there's something that I feel very passionately about, but it's not the moment that I can take the time to to put together the post, uh, um, or uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I wonder anyway. how
1: much of life we miss by posting on social media. Yeah, I mean, because you're just... so busy trying to capture that. That, that photograph or that video right. or say that word or word, those 47 characters or <laughs> how many is it? 150. See, yeah. I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> but but then you're missing the thing that's actually happening. It's, it's
4: really, I'm very uh, I'm it, it definitely is something that I wrestle with. Yeah. I do too, because you, know? you get into a whole socioeconomic uh,
2: debate. About it as well, because you can actually get hired or not based on how many followers you have and Mm -hmm. all of that. I'm sorry, nonsense, but it's (laughs) the truth. That's a little shitty to me. It it, 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 it is, but it's it's real. Yeah, it's real. So you have this real pressure. Is my point? You have this pressure, like, well, you have to, you have to post every day, and hashtags are the key to getting more people. And it, 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 at one point, you just, shouldn't be about the work. Shouldn't it be about the work? And I, I'm torn as well, only because. I'm a realist, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't I don't really like the game that right. I, right. I'm being asked to play. Right. So it, it's interesting.
1: Well, that's oh, funny yeah. you say that, because I think you're very good on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I you actually, do? yeah, I said this to you the other day. Yeah. I, I actually think you're, you're, you're really dedicated to it. So it's interesting to, s- to hear you say yeah. that you actually don't quite feel that way.
2: Well, I, I think it's the the professional posts that I'm uncomfortable with, the stuff I like posting the most is really reposting anything that my new favorite Twitter, everyone is John Shanley, the playwright. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. You're missing out. Yeah. So yeah. You must go check it out. Yeah. Or, you know, Diego explains things that are dark and interesting and a little outside the box. Those are the things I actually enjoy posting. I
4: just have to figure out mm-hmm. how to repost. I keep... I'll teach you oh, in yeah. a simple way. Will you
2: teach both There's, of us? Yeah, there, it's an app. I'll go.
4: Yeah, <laughs> sidebar. I have it. I have. I just, yeah. <laughs> as my daughter yeah. says, Mom, you take five steps to accomplish what you could do with like one. Like story of my life, honey. It's. A
0: <laughs> well, Donna, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, since you have had this extensive career over many decades, mm-hmm. you know, from your Broadway debut and they're playing our song. Yeah to wrapping up Hello, Dolly. What, yeah. what strikes you as the, the biggest things that have changed hmm. in, in terms yeah. of being, being a performer? I mean, social media. That's social me media is huge. It. You know, how yeah. much does that change the experience? Are there any other aspects of, of performing in the theater that, over that course of time, you've, you've observed have, have changed the experience?
4: <sighs> it's interesting. Um, I came in. You know, I was at NYU, and I went to an open call, and I got a Broadway show. And I, I really didn't know anything about the business. I didn't know people in the business. Um, I didn't have an agent. I had I had been going to other open calls, so cutting classes to go to some open calls because I, in certain ways, I also you were speaking earlier. I don't know if we were actually on mic. I think we were not yet um, about being you know for going on forty. And I, I was the oldest of seven. Um, and I grew up fast and I, I, I always joke that I always knew there was somebody younger cuter and needier than me <laughs> <laughs> so I better get over it and and I was lucky because there were a lot of things that I was really interested in that drew me to um, uh, getting involved in, in them, those matters in, at school uh, both in the arts and academically and uh, so I Had things that I loved, and I just wanted to know more and more and more and more about them, and and I loved being treated like a grown-up. Point being that while I was at NYU, I was very pragmatic. I I had this plan. I thought I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to study at NYU, as it turned out, and I get I let's get my education, and then I will hopefully have a nice bedrock of 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 um, technique. Um, and uh, then I'll give myself five years. And if I'm not making a living in, living in the business, or a living in the business, <laughs> um, as I was about to say, um, then I'll find something else to do. And there are many things I'm interested in in this world, even though I'd known since the time I was probably three or four that acting and singing and creating stories and being a part of telling stories was what, I wanted to try to do with my life and what I was doing throughout my school years. I'm sorry it's not worked
2: out for you. you know. <laughs> did you have a plan
4: B? Um, well, I've had several plan B's after I realized that that little pragmatic vision was not the way it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, so I got a job and it was on Broadway and I thought, oh, well, I did it. that's it. <laughs> you know, I'm, things Done. are kind of taking care of themselves. Yep. And I was doing that show, and it, it was wonderful. I was an understudy, but I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not really there doing it, but I watched. I got to learn so much just watching. Did and you then go on? I went oh. on a lot. Yeah, I went on for, well, but it was three people in the ensemble. Right. The voices of Sonia Wals- right. Walsk were the oh, female chorus, yeah. <laughs> and then I did get to when um, the first actress of that group that left was Debbie Shapiro, now Debbie Gravitt. Um, And she left to do a new show, and I was uh, asked to replace her, so that was great. Um, But, you know, when I was in school, I wasn't studying musical theater. I was studying uh, the undergrad drama department with Stella Adler, and I loved to sing, and I had a job as a singing waitress my sophomore year, uh, Singing with like a trio, singing standards. I remember them saying, "What's your key?" And I was like, "What's my key? What was that?" I feel like I'm an Can old. Can we movie. go to the
2: Stardust Diner and just recreate that? Like, <laughs> I want you to like be at my table, singing me a song. Are you kidding? Although I was Can at Barbara's Steak Row. Out?
4: Where was it? It what? was like some restaurant that I don't know how long it. it was. A singing place. steakhouse? It was. It was like the was '70s. Yeah, like, it was the yeah, like '70s. It was a. 70s, right? it, was a re- it, was, it was the late '70s. It was not like on roller skates and like singing show tunes. No, it was like there was a trio, and it was kind of a dark and mm. cool medium you know, rare. And I read, <laughs> <laughs> right? singing about the, the meat. It's like medium rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Manhattan straight up. I just would love to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But oh, I would... God, wouldn't I, that be great I, if you no. sang all your sang orders. orders? But yeah. that would have been much but more... I would just... I, I have, have this image. Have. I'd
2: love to go surprise some theater fans at a singing restaurant, and there in comes Donna Murphy
4: with your potatoes and hash, and just... <laughs> I'm going to sing a little show tune for you. That was so my great. second singing waitress job, actually. I'm remembering that the North Shore Music Theater, which still exists up in Beverly, Massachusetts... I think I
1: speak for the entire world when I say that we're grateful that you were a singing waitress and that you decided to sing for us the rest of your life.
4: Yes. Yeah, I mean, so while I was at NYU, I still was sneaking off and doing musicals or going to open calls for musicals because I did love to sing, but I did want to... Truth was, you know what? I was on the wait list for Carnegie Mellon for musical theater. I got a full scholarship for their drama department, wait listed for musical theater, and my second choice was NYU, and to study with Stella Adler. And so I went, all right, then that's what I meant to do. And my parents were like, you're getting a full scholarship at Carnegie Mellon. That's the school you I said, yes, but not in the musical theater department. Don't you think it
1: was the, the I mean, I have to assume that the basis in, the, the base in drama, the Stella Adler training, that heavily influenced who you became as a singing theater mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. right because yes
4: it was my journey it was my and it was there. I, I mean I did plays and musicals and I loved doing them equally I just I realized while I was at NYU I didn't want to have to give up I didn't want to give up singing to act and I didn't want to just, just as I didn't want to exclusively do musicals I didn't want to exclusively do plays um But it definitely influenced me. I mean, although the truth is that it was very intimidating initially, um, and I found Stella intimidating, and I didn't get it right away. And that scared the hell out of me, because I thought maybe I'm really not meant to be an actress. I knew I wasn't. I mean, I I was in some way, intuitively. um, And with whatever talents, you know, I was blessed with, I was born with, and what I'd observed and absorbed uh, in watching. And I was so young, and, um, and so back to this theory of me be- being very mature, <laughs> voted most sophisticated in my class superlatives. <laughs>
0: um, Those are never wrong.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was very immature in regard to not being able to keep myself from the distraction of wow, I can pick up a trade paper and I could go to an open call and maybe stand on a Broadway stage and sing 16 bars. And just, I thought, just to stand on that stage and sing, that that's, that could be enough. Don't cry, young lovers, whatever
3: you do Don't cry cause i'm a
1: how much time you spend at home does your home really make you feel great if not it's time to change it now picture yourself coming home seeing beautiful new furniture from jordan's eating out or a vacation those things just come and go but walking into your room and loving what you see you'll enjoy that every day right now come to jordan's furniture and get 15 percent off everything or get up to 60 months with no interest call one 245 for financing details restrictions apply subject to credit approval Think about how much time you spend at home. Does your home really make you feel great? If not, it's time to change it. Now picture yourself coming home, seeing beautiful new furniture from Jordan's. Eating out or a vacation, those things just come and go. But walking into your room and loving what you see, you'll enjoy that every day. Right now, come to Jordan's Furniture and get 15% off everything or get up to 60 months with no interest. Call
0: 1-866-245-4722 for financing details. Restrictions apply. Subject to credit approval.
4: You asked me how things have changed. I mean, the thing is that I came in knowing so little. And, and what I learned is that, I learned quickly that it was great to be in a Broadway show, but I wanted to play parts and I wanted to keep growing. And so I left there playing our song and I had a tiny, tiny part in a new musical that was at the Goodspeed Opera House and was in the ensemble, but had a writer for a small part, and so that to me was you know a step forward. And my parents were like, "You're what?" I mean, I first you know really upset them by dropping out of school. They really wanted me to graduate from college, um, but then I was in a Broadway show, and that was pretty cool. And that my father didn't get it for a long time, but my mother got it, and um, and then I left that to do a show that they hoped would come in. It was a new show. and But I now know I went and did that show. I was meant to be there because that's where I met my husband.
3: I've been searching high and low for you, but then what does it matter?
2: Hello again. Um, I think I speak for everyone here when I want to say... We know that you're really close with Marin, and we wanted to extend our sympathy to you. And I wanted to follow up with a question, if I may, out of love is that um, you lost your husband two and a half years ago, followed by this? And I didn't know if you had any words of insight and wisdom for our listeners who are also going through loss and grief. And if they haven't, they will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what have you learned in the last two and a half years that's helping you now and how are you able to help Jason who's going through it is there anything you'd like to share with us and we love you well
4: I love you (laughs) I love all you guys for being open to this kind of conversation too and yeah I mean Maren was one of my best friends and um, she uh, was a great light in my life in thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of lives. Who knows how many lives she touched? I've known Maren since the day we started passion rehearsals um, for the workshop, and it was—I uh, was telling somebody this the other day—that uh, literally the first day I walked into rehearsal um, in the space we were using in the Rose Building, <clears throat> Lincoln Center. Um, she was golden. I mean, there literally was just this golden person with this aura. Uh, And what I learned within literally the first hour or two of rehearsal is that everything about her was golden. Her humor was golden. The voice was truly golden. Her um, open, strong... She was so strong, but a lot of people who were strong... They're tight. There's a tightness about them. And I, I can that can be me in circumstances. Maren was just so open. And I remember her saying, oh, Donna Murphy, and wrapping her arms around me. And I said, we're going to have lunch today, aren't we? And she said, yeah. I think we're going to have a lot of lunches. And we sat out. Um... Excuse me. around um, the fountain at Lincoln Center, first day of rehearsal, and just opened our hearts to each other. And um, she remained a dear friend of both myself and my husband, Sean's. I mean, Sean adored Marin, and uh, just always said, that's one of the greatest dames you're ever going to know. There's no... Straight line process through grief. It's not linear. It's you think you have turned a certain corner in it, and then it it's, it sneaks up on you, and it's not always uh, harsh and brutal. It can be a very small moment of just recognizing that something that you shared with that person that you you took for granted. There were small moments. Um, they come up all the time for me in regard to Sean, my late husband, because we shared our lives for 36 years. So, um, I mean, as partners in the same... Not the same space, but different spaces, but sharing those different spaces physically and living together. Um, so... You know, the things you share when you're fossing and washing mm-hmm. the dishes, whether it's about what happened in rehearsal that day. Dolly was the first theater piece that I did that he wasn't present in my life, other than my first job, which was there playing our song, which I got, which was why I dropped out of <laughs> NYU. Everything being, uh, having some kind of tangent and connection. But then the next show I did was the show that I met Sean on, a show called Zapata at the Goodspeed Opera House, which is another story and a half. Um, so I've always had him. We bounced, you know, our our experiences as artists um, off of one another, and not that I don't continue to do that. But I'll I'll never forget the process during the process of Dolly, which was very you know different from anything I'd ever experienced. Um, just realizing when I came home that he wasn't there to... I mean, I knew he wasn't there. It had been months since he had passed. But to share just something that had happened or an idea I had about something I wanted to try, uh, people assumed that the loss, in addition to just the the parallel of, of some of the things in Dolly's life as a widow and as a, as a new newly, I I don't care for the word widow particularly, but that's about old associations. Um, and it's just a word, but anyway, as another woman who had lost the person who was the love of her life. And that's how I felt. Uh, for me, it was new for Dolly. It was 10 years old. Um, but, uh, I had friends who'd say, "Yeah, well, I'm sure that you and Sean, like you know, ran material together, ran scenes." And I said, "Sometimes when we were cramming for auditions we had to put ourselves on tape for things, but no, I didn't. He wasn't my acting coach. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't Pygmalion. It wasn't it wasn't a Star Is born. It wasn't um, it wasn't that uh, scenario. It was just partners, people who were journeying together and who understood a lot about." um the realm that we shared. So there was this added realm when our beloved friend Maren was diagnosed and she was, boy, she just took it on with such courage and grace. Maren went through so many things during the God I, two and a half years that she was journeying with cancer and living with cancer, that, you know, my breath would hold thinking will she be able to come out on the other side of this um, living on this plane, as I put it, of existence. And she always did. And there was some a number of us who were very close to her that felt like it that was just that was just going to go on and on and on somehow for her and spiritually she had she did not want to leave but i think she was open to whatever the journey was meant to be she did not want to leave what she was leaving behind you know she was open to what might be ahead unknown she was enlightened and she shared that with my husband she shared it with me and I have to say for me uh, a new friend articulated this the other night unexpectedly for me when he said there must be another level of letting go of of Sean as well as Marin at this time because of that connection and another it just our lives were connected and certainly my relationship with Marin was its own relationship and Sean's relationship with Marin was its own but the interwoven nature of our lives did make her passing deeply personal um, and yet the light and the love that the community which is of course what you were asking me about to begin with and I kind of went off here um, she there's not a person that I know who has worked or met Marin who wasn't struck with her love, her generosity, her humor, that just magnitude of talent, which just grew and grew and grew, and the way that she embraced everything. And so that brings me joy. And, um, and she inspired me from the day I met her, and it only grew, it only grew, And Maren gave so many of us so many different elements of her grace and light and love and talent and hope, and she's still doing it, you know. Um, So uh, I I hear her. I feel her, and I know Jason does, Um, and I know that Jason has felt he, too, the, the love from the community has been remarkable. I've never seen anything quite like it. And, you know, we've, we've lost too many, too young. It's...
1: We were talking about that earlier. It really felt overwhelming to a lot of people. And it was, a, it was hugely impactful, her passing. And I, I think that was felt by people who knew her really well, like you did, and people who didn't know her at all but knew her talent and mm-hmm. her and her work and I I honestly I can't remember um, something that's impacted us quite like this in the theater community
3: I don't know how I let you so far inside my mind but there you are and there you stay how could i ever wish you away i see now i was blind. and should you die tomorrow another thing i see your love will live in me
1: I think it's always beneficial to talk about these kinds of things because I think it helps the person grieving, but I think it helps people that may not even know they are going to need these words someday. That's cause, right. Because you will.
4: Living in the now, being grateful for the now—it's all we know. It's all we really know is what's happening in this moment. We know what's happened in the past—that's true. But in terms of, we can look forward to. We can look forward to things. We can you know, have uh, desires and and uh, ambitions and plans, but all we know is this. Those of us sitting in this room mm-hmm. with this beautiful piece of avocado toast <laughs> and, and the most wonderful Thank cup you, of green Jamie. tea I've ever had in my I, life... I, I, I. I we, Jamie. I, you know, we
2: I, I, mentioned. I that, you know, we we mentioned this to our listeners last week that Jamie he provides snacks, and we can't wait for the snack every week. <laughs> you no, know,
4: and that we're having this conversation because of where we are now. Well,
1: thank you for dropping oh. out of college. Thank
4: you
1: for 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 gracing us today. Oh, um, my with, pleasure, guys. With your beautiful thoughts and uh, and your power, and uh, and thank you for uh, for. Golly, for just being you! Oh, shucks.
4: <laughs> well, thanks for tolerating my um, many tangents. My hashtag is tangent queen. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. well. I, I mean, it's not officially so, but I think it should be.
2: Darmia, Darmia wants you to put that on every Instagram post. Mom, get on it. That's
1: a good stage name too. So hashtag
4: tangent 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 queen. queen. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm also always looking for people's book titles. Like, what would be what would be the title of your book, right? So maybe it's maybe yours is Tangent Queen.
4: It could be Tangent Queen. Be. <laughs> How
2: about Beautiful Deep Soul? How about that? Oh, love you, Donna. Love you. Love, love you
4: too. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Rob here with You May Be Wondering. You may be wondering, what's the deal with Broadway dimming its marquee lights when someone notable passes away? Broadway's equivalent of flying a flag at half-mast. Well, the tradition dates back to 1952, when English actress Gertrude Lawrence, then starring as Anna in the original production of The King and I on Broadway, fainted backstage after a Saturday matinee and was hospitalized with viral hepatitis. Within days, she'd slip into a coma and then die. It was later revealed that Lawrence, who had been sickly for some time, had liver and abdominal cancer. Beloved for her Tony-winning star turn, the decision was made to dim the lights at the St. James Theater, where the King and I played. When other theaters found out, they joined suit, and a tradition was born. Though, it got off to a slow start. Universal dimming would not occur again until 1960, following the death of Oscar Hammerstein II, and then not until 1977, with the death of Alfred Lunt. Starting in the 1980s, though, the practice became far more common and routinized. Today, the Broadway League, which is a trade association of theater owners and operators, producers, presenters, and general managers, they have an informal committee that decides who gets the honor. Once a decision is made, usually within a few days of a person's death, theater owners are informed, and marquee lights are dimmed for one minute. This used to happen at curtain time, typically 7 or 8 PM but it's now done 15 minutes before curtain so that audiences filing into theaters can observe. A press release is sent out to mark the occasion, but otherwise, there's no ceremony or fanfare. As Jennifer mentioned earlier in the episode, people on foot who are walking in the theater district might not even know what's happening. As marquee technology has changed, some theaters now feature LED boards, as seen at the Imperial and the Music Box Theaters on 45th and the Marquee Theater on 46th. When it comes time to dim lights, those theaters now replace a show's logo design with a still image of the person being honored, which adds a degree of personalization to the occasion and informs those people on the street of who's being honored that evening. To avoid lobbying, the criteria that the Broadway League's informal committee considers in deciding who gets a tribute is mostly kept private. And as we talked about earlier in the episode, that has led to some very public consternation. In 2014, when comedy legend Joan Rivers died, a decision was made not to dim the lights even though it had just been done for Robin Williams. Joan Rivers had appeared in three Broadway shows, one a quick flop as a replacement in Neil Simon's Broadway Bound, and most memorably in Sally Marr and her Escorts in 1994. So after much public outcry, the league reversed its decision. Flash forward to February 2018, five-time Tony Award winner Jan Maxwell passed away. And once again, the league declined to dim the lights. A decision was made instead that the Marquis Theater, where Jan had made her last stage appearance in Follies, would dim its lights. Then the Manhattan Theater Club joined in, dimming the lights at the Samuel Friedman Theater where Jan had played twice. This selective dimming was seen as a slight by many, but also allowed for a concentrated gathering outside those two theaters. And then just last week, three-time Tony nominee and 2017 Hall of Fame theater inductee, Marin Mazzi, passed away at age 57. Despite having created iconic performances in Passion, Ragtime, and Kiss Me Kate, among others, the League once again decided to decline to dim the lights. Six individual theaters went rogue and announced that they would dim their lights. Then in response to public outcry on social media, the League reversed its decision and all theaters dimmed their lights. This second major boo in just over six months points to an evolution in fan culture on Broadway and has also shined a light on an otherwise opaque process. Some argue we should do away with dimming the lights altogether. Others want more liberal use of the honor. Regardless of where you stand in this debate, it underscores that theater performers are loved and celebrated by fans the world over. And these fans form strong kinships and feel a sense of loss when someone passes away. As Maren Mazzi sang as Helen Sinclair in Bullets Over Broadway in 2014, there is a broken heart for every light on Broadway.
1: Jamie here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops, who are currently on tour, so check out their website, luckychops.com, for info and dates. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at fabulousinvalid.com. And listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean and our website. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. This episode is dedicated to Marin Mazzi.
3: Look at what you want, not at where you are, not at what you'll be. Look at all the things you've done for me. Opened up my eyes, taught me how to see. Notice every, Notice every tree. Understand the light. Understand the light. I want on, to move on. on. I want to explore the light. I want to know how to get through, through to something new, something of my own. Something, done, in the the you something in the light, swung in the sky, in the grass, are, up need. behind the trees. Look at all the things you gave to things me. I have to give to you something now, in return. Your hand and your smile, I would and the be so eyes, And the way you catch the light. And Yeah.